Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This summer, we are back in the book of Psalms. John Calvin rather famously wrote that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms sing high joys for salvation and the beauty of this world, and yet meet us in the low places as we cry out for justice and weep over the sorrowful state of this world. All of life, absolutely all of it, is invited to be laid before our Lord in the Psalms, these prayers and songs to God. So we'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and God bless. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would take these words of yours to heart there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, That we would be like the one who builds our house on the rock, on you that the storms might come and batter against that house, but it will not fall. Lord, uh, speak to us again this morning from this psalm. Teach us your ways, please. God, meet us in, in our lives this week. We know that we come in these doors sometimes so eager to hear from you, and other times we don't. We don't know. Uh, We have doubts that seem greater than our faith. Or some of us might be coming into this space this morning wondering what in the world happens at a church or what am I doing here? Why do I keep coming? God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Please, Lord, speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so... Uh, Dave Keller isn't here this morning. I know he's in Kentucky. And he's asked me for a while when I'm going to use a golf illustration. This is sort of a golf illustration. So a few years ago, uh, some friends gave, a friend gave me a set of golf clubs. He actually got some new ones, and I just asked him, can I have his old ones? He said, yeah, sure. Um, and so if you know that that's become one of my hobbies. And, but I'm not going to tell you about um, me necessarily. So if, um, a little while after that, I was at the Lemoyne Antique Mall. Hopefully, all of you frequent that place. You can find some real treasures. And I found a real treasure. And it was a, driving, a driver about this big, perfect for little kids, and it only cost three bucks. And so I took James and Lily um, to the driving range over in Dauphin Highlands. And we got a Gatorade, and we got a big bucket of balls, and we're trying to make sense of how in the world you hit a stationary little ball in the right direction. And, um, and Lily and I are kind of talking off to the side, drinking our Gatorade, and all of a sudden we hear James yell, I hate this game! <laughs> and I just love that because if you've ever tried to just hit that little ball, you've actually had that exact same experience. I hate this little thing. Uh, why bother? And... Um, you know, most of us really want to just do things that come sort of naturally to us, right? We kind of want to do things that like, we can just grab onto fairly easily. And one of the things that's horrible about golf is that even Tiger Woods, who's the best ever, shot a 10 
on one hole when he won the Masters the last time. Okay, um, in his really brilliant book that I really hope all of you have read, um, C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, he, he says that, that we often take ourselves as sort of the starting point, um, our own desires and our own interests and our own abilities that as the starting point from which we kind of engage with the world. Um, and, and here's what we do. We, we admit that there's something else in the world and he says, call it morality, or call it decent behavior, or the good of society. And this other has a claim on ourselves, right? It, it invites us to something outside of ourselves. And he says, sometimes that, that other actually is in conflict with sort of our natu- naturally who we are, our desires and our interests and our abilities. And so those desires and interests and abilities, we could say they're wrong and they actually need to conform to something that is outside of ourselves, that good uh, for our neighbor, decent behavior, morality. And he says, of course, sometimes it actually comports with those things. And, and that's kind of, that's a good thing and we can be at rest in a little ways with those things. But he says this, he says, we're always hoping that when all of these demands are fully met, there'll still be a chance to get on with our lives. Like when we're trying to actually do these moral things, these decent behaviors, and he says we're actually like the the man who's trying to pay his taxes, and eventually he pays his taxes, and he hopes he has just at least a little bit left to live on. Um, He says when we're pursuing this morality and this decent behavior, this good of society, we take ourselves as a starting point, and that actually leads to a very destructive place. He says that two results likely follow. We, get, we either give up trying to be good. <laughs> There's just too much. There's too much demanding, demanded of us. There's too much need in the world. There's too much for the good of society. Or we become very unhappy. It says if you really do try to demand, uh, meet the demands put on you, you will not have enough to live on. Your natural self, as it seeks to obey every single demand put upon itself, will be starved and hampered and worry at every turn. And this is what he says, you will get angrier and angrier. And I actually sort of wonder if this is sort of what's just happening in our world, generally speaking. We have these competing ideas of what is the good of our neighbor. And we're just trying to say, you know what, we can kind of do this. And we're actually overwhelmed and we're just getting angrier and angrier and angrier with everybody and everything. He says this, this is a quote. In the end, you will either give up trying to be good or else become one of those people who, as they say, live for others, but always in a discontented, grumbling way. Always wondering why the other did not notice it more or always making a martyr of yourselves. He has that once you become like this, put this over here, you will be difficult for everyone and anyone and everyone wish, will wish that you had just kept trying to be selfish because that will actually be more pleasant than trying to get everything done all the time. Here's sort of where I'm going with this. Okay. James yelling, I hate this game, um, could produce a couple things. Um, he really could just throw that $3 driver up in the air and never pick it up again and just be mad at this like life. Um, he could decide, you know, I'm going to get this done. And you know the phrase, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? And just kind of angry at the world anyway. I'm going to master this. Um, 
I'm going to do it. And if I can't do it, I'm just going to throw it all away. Those are the options. Um, this, this might seem like a strange way to start this, but here's the, this psalm. This psalm is, um, is first describing God as very distant. God's really far off in this psalm. First, this is how it begins, right? Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. He's getting to this place where it seems like God is so far away from him. He's far away from God. And I think that for most of us, at least you all here are sitting in church chairs. They're not pews. We're downstairs for the summer. But, you know, like, you're the people that are in the pews. And I think that for the temptation for us to think of, hey, someone being distant from God is primarily thinking all of those people that are outside. They're the ones that are distant from God. Distance from God makes us think of those who are outside, maybe those who ridicule God, maybe your neighbor who just doesn't want to talk to you about Jesus at all. Don't bring up Jesus with that neighbor. Or maybe the person who like grew up in the church and they gave up long ago. Or maybe they've recently said, uh, I don't want God. They've kind of you know, deconstructed their faith. Um, so those are the people that I think we first think of they're distant, right? The person who's really out there. At best, they maybe are the, the Creaster Christians. You know those ones? They come on Christ, Christmas and Easter. You guys know the term? Creasters? You know, this might be destri- describing Creasters at best. But for the most part, what we think is this, these the, this little description of God being distant from you is for the people out there. Um, some of us... Um, some of us are prone to thinking that way. I would guess most of us are prone to thinking that way. The people who are distant from God are out there. And let me say this, okay, actually, because I know some people watch this online, and I know my guess is that some of you maybe are here, and you're like, actually, I do feel like my faith is so, so distant. If you actually are describing, described in that way, if you've sort of been deconstructing your faith, or if you're just like so distant from God, and you know that, you know that's you, Consider this text, okay? And consider that what the Lord says in this text is that you need Jesus, okay? That is part of it. But what struck me when I was studying this psalm is that the distance that is being described in the beginning here is immediately followed by the phrase that is so lovely in this psalm, which is this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Which is to say, this person has some semblance of an, the idea that, that they actually are part of the community of faith. And we're actually told at, in, the, in the title that this is of David. So this is written by the community of faith and for the community of faith. This is written in the Psalms, the songbook of God's people. And David is saying, and God's people are saying, Lord, I'm distant. God, I'm distant. Lead me to the one that is stronger than myself, that's safer than myself. I need to be on the rock that's beyond me. I need to have a refuge that's outside of myself and my own ability. My inclination to think that I can be the strong tower. Here's part of what C.S. Lewis is getting at. Most of us are going to hate life. Uh, we're going to hate 
sports. We're going to hate pursuing the good of our society, the good of our neighbor or morality, all the rest of it. If we take ourselves as the starting point, if we primarily say, oh, I can't do this, and therefore it stinks, or I stink, or you're just going to hate life. If you primarily think of it as starting with you, we either become miserable with how poorly we're doing at life, or we become utterly insufferable, you know? Because we're mostly looking down at other people thinking, they're doing it so poorly. Why don't they just look at me? Here's what I'm suggesting to you, is that as, as, long, as, as long as our view is looking down on others, we're going to be insufferable. As long as our view is just a horizontal view, uh, we're going to think this is awful. We're going to hate it because we're going to just see ourselves and others. And one of the things that this text is calling us to, even in the distance from God, is to see that the best thing for you to do is look above yourself. to The one who is over all things, over your situation, over your particular abilities, or the mess of this life, the best thing you can do is look outside and above yourself. Now, here's the thing with this text, right? I think most of us sort of know that that is kind of easy to do when you're down and out. When you just know, like, man, nothing is going my way. The worst thing in the world for me would be to look at myself you, like you, you maybe have had those kinds of situations. Um, There's sort of uh, natural times when we know that we're down, that we need help. Um, just this morning, because do you know that there's lots of tunes that you can sing Rock of Ages to? No, you don't know that. That's great. Did we sing the right tune? I hope we sang the right tune because we had a long discussion in our practice this morning, and I actually had to go find the right tune, but in doing so, I looked up the song Rock of Ages, and probably many of you know this, it was written by Augustus Top Lady, and the tune that we actually sang was the tune Top Lady by um, Thomas Hastings. But Augustus Top Lady supposedly wrote that song when he was in the midst of a storm uh, at Bennington Combe, near Bennington Combe, it's this hiking area, um, and there's actually this sort of, like, think of a rooster comb, there's this rock outcropping that looks like a rooster comb, and there's little clefts in there. And he was able to hide in the midst of this crazy storm, and he wrote, supposedly wrote this hymn while he was hiding from the storm. And there's actually a plaque there on those rocks saying that that's where Augustus Top Leader wrote that hymn. What I'm saying, though, is that it's easy when you're in the midst of, like, low, low, low place to say, God, I need to look up and find you because I am weak, and I need you to be strong. That... That I think most of us understand. But this psalm doesn't seem to be speaking to that situation exactly. Um, David seems to be writing from the place of being on top. He's the king. And what do kings do? Well, they're, they're the top people. They rule. They speak and people do what they say. And uh, when they're on top, they think they can just look down on others. What happened when David was on top <laughs> looking down on somebody else? He did what so many people do when they have such power. They abuse that power. 
They took advantage of that which was below them. Right? So he's, he's actually speaking of being in the top place. He's saying, even when I'm up there, I need to look to the rock that is higher than I. Listen to this. This is why, and this is so strange in this psalm. Also, you, you know, you're talking about God and, and being distant and then finding him and being the rock. And then it gets to this section that talks about the king. Seems a little strange. This is why. Listen to verse 6 and 7. It says, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned be, be forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. What he's saying is, would the king even, the one who's at the top place, understand that his life, he's only there because the Lord has placed him there. His life is dependent upon him. His rule is dependent upon him. May there never be a day when the king does not need the Lord. Look outside of himself. What I'm suggesting to you is that in, the Psalms are always teaching us this thing, right? And we've talked about this this summer. That all of our life is to be laid before the Lord. And there's times in your life when you're more inclined to do that, right? But this Psalm is telling you that there is never a time when you should not be doing that. When there's never a time when you should not be looking up to the Lord and laying your life and saying, without you, Lord, the storm will come and wash it all away. Um, consider the image that this psalm gives to us about the Lord. Okay, I'm gonna read, let, let me read again a little bit of verse 2 and then through 4. It says this, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you've been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So uh, consider with me uh, just kind of briefly these little images. One, it says that God is our refuge. And it's connected, it's immediately connected to the idea of rock, of course. Um, that's mentioned a lot, God is rock and refuge, particularly in the Psalms. We heard one of them in our uh, words of forgiveness and peace from Psalm 18.2. It said, my rock, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Um, Psalm 31 and 73 both say, my rock of refuge. They call God the rock of refuge. And my mighty rock, my refuge, that's Psalm 62. Um, Psalm 94 says, God is the rock in whom I take refuge. It's all, it, it always seems to be referring to this idea that God is a rock and that he's a refuge, um, that he's a safe place, he's a secure place. But this image you can see is often related to, to David being a distant. He's outside of the home. And, and if you remember actually the stories we've been hearing in the life of David, he's been fleeing, right, from Saul and all this. And he's actually found his safety often in the caves of Adullam. I mentioned that the caves of Adullam were actually caves that were hewn out of sandstone rock. And so you can have these pictures in your mind of actually David finding refuge within rocks. Okay, And so he's, he's saying, God is this kind of refuge that I found a safe place, but at a distance still. Okay, the second image we have is actually God mentioned as a strong tower. This seems kind of similar but it's also a little bit different. Okay, it seems similar in this that a strong tower is probably built out of rocks. But a strong tower has walls about it. And it's actually not far off at a distance, but it's actually coming closer. Maybe you're on the edge of the, of the city and there's a fortress and there's a tower uh, from which you can actually engage with an enemy outside. And, and it's not just you hiding in a cave. 
but it's you with a bunch of other people around you defending what's happening. Okay, so David is sort of moving from saying, God, you're far off to saying, okay, now I'm in a refuge, now I'm in a strong tower. And then the next thing he says is this, God is, is a tent, right? Let me dwell in your tent. He's there, uh, he's moving closer in. And the movement is increasingly becoming more and more intimate, and it's at this point that we actually see it's really getting intimate. Okay, most of us think of, of, of a tent as something we only engage with in camping, right? Um, and some of us wish we just had an RV so we didn't even have to engage with a tent. Back in the day, tents were actually oftentimes people's homes. Um, you can think of maybe Abraham um, engaging with those who came to him out of his tent and, and welcoming them into his tent. Um, but I want you to think also about how Israel was brought out from slavery in Egypt and they, they made tents, they had tents there at Mount Sinai and how God himself was given a tent, and he said, this is my home, and he was placed right in the middle of God's people. And that tent also was called the tabernacle, but it was literally a tent. And so some people actually translate this passage here as tabernacle. Here's what's going on. Is David is using this language of being far off, and he's saying, as I look to you as the rock that's higher than myself, I'm making a movement of greater and greater intimacy towards you. He's moving towards greater and greater intimacy from the refuge to the strong tower to the tent. And hopefully you noticed actually uh, the second half of verse 4 says, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Which is to say the final image here is actually of God as a mother bird, a mother hen who's caring for her children. It's the most intimate uh, image you have, and it's the safest and most secure place that's mentioned here. God's saying here, don't be so far off as a refuge outside of the community or a strong tower. Come into my place, my tabernacle, my home, and actually come right here, right to my breast. Here is the most secure place ever for you. And here's what I'm saying. There's this movement in this psalm. Here's the movement in our own hearts, which, which C.S. Lewis is talking about. We tend to engage with the world from our point of view. And, and what this is doing is it's saying, God is saying, come closer, come closer, come closer, come closer. Let me, let, come so close to me that you're actually starting to see the world right under my wing and from my point of view. It's a psalm of being far off to being so intimately close that you're held by the very wings of God, embraced by the very arms of God, held close to the very breast of God. It's a psalm that moves from distance to intimacy, a place of living independently, maybe on your own, to living dependently. The distant, far-off place moves from the place of refuge to the strong tower, to the tent, and to the wing. And as long as you're out there, on your own, distant from God, the fact is that you will not really live. You will not bear life-giving fruit. You'll be distant from others. 
Because your temptation in that place, as long as you are not looking up to the Lord and seeking him as your rock, you will only be looking at others, judging others, judging yourself, and living at distance with others. You have to get out of looking just at others and yourself, and you have to start looking up. What you're naturally going to do is look at others and look at yourself. And when you do that, you're going to say things like, I hate golf. But you're also just going to say things like this, I hate life. I mean, the anxieties of this world will overwhelm you. They will. I mean, we, they're, they're, the, the correlation with, actually, this is, this is not something crazy. The correlation between um, a, a lack of belief and a growing distance of life with God and life in the church in our country has corresponded to a greater growing of anxiety in our world. Those things are, have just grown together. They have. Because your inclination is going to be a life of comparison. And when you do that, you will grow in a life of anxiety and a life of being overwhelmed and a life of snootiness and looking down at others and judging. Those two things will always go together. Um, all right, so I'm going to end with this. C.S. Lewis continues in Mere Christianity. He says this right after what I just read at the beginning. He says, the Christian way is different he says, harder and easier. The Christian way is harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as those which you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The thing that we hear all throughout Scripture, think about this, from the very first place in the garden, when Adam and Eve have sinned, and, and God knows what's going on, he comes in and he says, where are you? Or you think of how we, how we, how we speak and how we learn about Jesus coming so God so loves the world that he gave his only son, and how God pursues the world in the incarnation of Jesus. And through these Psalms, the thing that God keeps saying to us over and over and over again is, come to me. Of course, he says, take up your cross. He invites you to actually die to self. But what the Lord says time and time again is, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me be your refuge. Let me be your strong tower. Come into the intimacy of my home and my tent. Let me wrap my arms around you. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. I know that there's a great temptation in our hearts to sort of think we can do it. 
sort of take the position that you know we're going to mostly engage with the world from our ability and from our know-how. But the invitation of Holy Scripture again and again is to say, look beyond yourself. Look up. Look to the rock that is higher than yourself. And he will be your refuge. He will be your strong tower. He will wrap you in his loving arms. This is what we hear from Psalm 61 this morning. Let's pray. Lord, how often we want to engage with the world out of our own ability and how sometimes we're prone out of that to look down on others or to just judge others or to wallow in despair from our own inability. And God, I pray that we would stop this horizontal or downward gaze, but that we would look up to you. And when we do so, would we know that you are the only rock, the one that was cleft for us, ripped open for us, bled for us that we would have life in you. The one who pursues us with open arms upon the cross and also secures us as a mother hen wraps her loving wings around her children. Lord, hold each one of us close to your breast this morning. We are so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God that we love. Yet this morning, Lord, with this psalm with David, God, in the places where we think, oh, we've got this, Lord, we say that, would we see that all of our life is dependent on you? All of our security is only secure in you? And wrap us, Lord, as that loving mother hen wraps her children around her and holds her close. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.